Welcome to the Teacher's Podcast, in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thank you for listening. In this episode, I interviewed Christina Gabitas, an author and honorary member of the NSPCC Council. Christina has followed where life has guided her and as such, has stumbled across amazing opportunities to get involved with safeguarding for children and produce really valuable resources for children and teachers alike when it comes to teaching about difficult issues that may be happening at home. I hope you get something valuable from our conversation. Let's get to the interview. Christina, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you have got so much to talk about. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm thinking, where are we going to end up going with this? Um, because you've done so many things. So I'm excited to kind of delve in. And um, so the best thing you can do really is just give us a backstory of everything you've done so far. Because I know you've talked about a lot, I might interject and, and ask you some questions along the way. Uh, but I think that's the best place we can start. So give me a life story. <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> well, okay. an hour and a half, Max. <laughs> um, okay, when I was at school, I loved primary school. Secondary school, I really didn't like. I was really quiet and shy. Um, and I wouldn't say boo to a goose. I left school at 16, couldn't wait to get out. Um, I wasn't badly behaved or anything. I was just very, very shy. And um, I nearly lost my first job because I wouldn't speak to people. Wow. Uh, so I got a Saturday job in a hairdressing salon mm-hmm. and they said to me, look, um, unless you speak to people um, next next Saturday when you come, you haven't got a full time job here. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left mm. school. I just wanted just to get out. Yeah. I only got the job on my appearance because I used to dress quite wacky. Right. <laughs> and so I thought, gosh, I felt like the bottom had fallen out of my world because my parents are really hard working. I don't yeah. come from a privileged background and I, thought, I need to earn money. And so I went home and I thought, right. So the next time I go, I'm going to imagine flicking a switch in my head when I walk through the door and I'm not going to be myself. And I did that and I never stopped talking ever since. I found it really hard. It was really hard to do. I had to force myself to speak. It's weird because you changed your mindset without really knowing how to. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, it just kind of, I thought, I've got to do something. I thought, right, I'll act and Mm -hmm. not be myself. Yeah. So I... I felt like I could do it because I wasn't being me. Yeah, yeah. But in actual fact, there was a there was a voice in there waiting to come out. Yeah. Just needed he's teasing that, and and you know what? They did me a huge favour by doing saying that to me because yeah. it really helped me. And do you feel like you are yourself now? Yes, I am. Yeah, I feel more yeah. comfortable. You're not now. acting every day. No. Well, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. depends on that. Okay, so from there. So from there, um, I'll cut it up short a little bit because uh, I ended up going. Uh, I didn't stay in that in the hairdress and I didn't want to do that really. I just wanted to do something. It helped me mm-hmm. to build my confidence. Yeah, yeah. I did a number of ro- roles like uh, selling jeans in a menswear shop. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, right, I'm bored now. So uh, I went. I started to work for a company, kind of an ad- admin assistant. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got them to sponsor me for my HNC in business and finance. Well. So I went two evenings a week and mm-hmm. half day on a Saturday. 
I excelled in marketing analysis and communications, getting distinctions for both, I did economics, did a whole array of things. Wow. But I wouldn't change what I did because it made me what I am today. Yeah. And although it was hard work going two evenings a week and half day on Saturday, it really helped me because I was actually in the working environment, mm. learning at the same time, yeah. and that helped me with my coursework and everything. So after that, uh, I worked my way through the company, made my uh, work my up to product management level, and then yeah. So over the years, I've I've, I've done different things, also do with marketing. I had my own children who were both early babies, quite premature. My first, my daughter was born at 28 weeks, my son 35 wow. weeks, both very poorly. We're all really poorly. Mm. Um, and then whilst uh, I had my uh, children at home, I did lots of um, fundraising and voluntary work for mm -hmm. various charities. One was, was Bliss, mm -hmm. which is a national charity for the newborn. Okay. And so over the years then, I knew that I couldn't go back into the to the role that I was um, in the marketing role because I'd never be at home. Mm -hmm. So then I um, applied for um, a role with the Cystic Fibrosis Trust. I worked for them for 11 years as a fundraising manager up and mm -hmm. down the country, but I could work from home. So I was able to be around for the children, which was really important for me. Mm. And then it got, I got to a stage, right, they're at school and I'm more settled now and I'd like to work for myself, I'd like to write. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because I was really quiet and shy as a child, I didn't want my children to feel as shy uh, and unfearful of things as I was. I was yeah, scared yeah. as a dark spider, you name it, I was scared of it. Mm -hmm. So I thought if I can do something that can help them, yeah. that's got to be a good thing. And that's when I wrote my first story, which was Welcome to the World of Felicity Fly, which addressed um, the dark spiders, just loud noises, things that I was scared of as a child and children are mm. scared of as well. And so that was my first book, and that was in uh, May 2012 when that came out. And So how did you get published for that then? Right, so I wrote these stories, and I left them in a box file for quite a number of years. Mm. I thought one day I might do something with those stories. And I thought, you know what, if you never try, you never know. Mm. Better to try and fail than to not try at all. And that's what I say, I do visit lots of primary schools, and I always say that to children. Sometimes we don't know what we want to do. Yeah. We take opportunities, we take those opportunities, make the best of them and, and learn from them. And sometimes you end up doing something amazing because I think I did the same thing. I didn't know mm -hmm. what I wanted to do, but I took opportunities. That's what you have to do. Yeah, and then you learn from them and you find yeah. your niche, don't you? You find out what you really enjoy yeah. doing. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this. But I did a lot of research and I thought, you know what, if I send this to any publishers, they're just going to blow me out of the water. She's never written before. Yeah. It's quite a pretentious industry. So I did a lot of research and I decided that I would, I would look at publishing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I did. <laughs> and uh, when I looked at it, publishers, you, you hardly got any money for, uh, you know, they'd, they'd, you'd give them your words, they would get an illustrator, you would never meet them and they'll put this thing together. You've got no control over it. I wanted control over it. Yeah. And, um, and so I carried on doing that and I published for other people as well now mm -hmm. um all my books have an educational element i struggled as a child at, at school um i was never really engaged in reading so i wanted to put audio so with all of my stories there's an audio with it mm -hmm. as well so i'm now recognized as a, as a publisher a publisher for the people as well okay. um so all my books have an audio so children can listen and read along as well because they all come on at different stages yeah, yeah. and i remember when i was little i had um, a cinderella book and it had a tape with it. I'm of an age where I had tapes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so did I when I was little. 
<laughs> and it was a pink tape and I loved listening. It was like Cinderella, all these different characters. I loved all the sounds of their voices. And I, when I was little, I always loved to mimic people's voices. Yeah. And so in my books, you've got anything from an Indian butterfly, Jamaican dragonfly, to Brianna Beetle with her coat as black as streak and a scouse beetle. So okay. it's like when I go into schools, I do read aloud interactive sessions yeah, and it's yeah. World Read Aloud Day on the 5th of February, so I love that. Right, okay, <laughs> okay. And you go, are you going into a school for that? I'm actually going into a library. Oh, I'm nice. going into a library. Um, booked it well in advance. And so some schools don't know it's World Read Aloud Day, yeah. but it's, it's, it's really important. I mean, um, with the charity set up as well, I encourage read aloud interactive sessions. What they do, they have a 45 minute read aloud interactive right. session. They're not sat at a desk, they're not writing, yeah. they're getting involved, and that can have a huge positive impact on yeah. children. I do think you're hearing the language as well, aren't you? Some children don't hear the kind of language at home that's going to bring them on, but in a book, it's more yeah. likely that they're going they're going to find that. So it's hearing the language as well. Yeah. And when I was um, so when I was at school at primary school, I remember the teacher was lovely, but she she read so much monotone. Yeah. And um, I used to be away with the, if my attention wasn't grabbed, I'd be away with the fairies. Yeah. I think right, I'm bored now because yeah. it's like. Blah, blah, blah. So that's what um, I would have been better if they'd have been a bit more animated or put a bit more expression into yeah. telling the stories. And I find that with a lot of children. I can't say if uh, my teachers were monotone or not, but I was definitely aware with the fairies yeah. at least year five. <laughs> really was. I was just playing in my head. Yeah. It was daydream. Yeah. Um, and I was just at home playing with my toys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but thankfully I came around and learned everything from year five onwards. <laughs> And I still did okay. Um, okay then. So after after you've published that first book, mm -hmm. well, it was it was a, a great success. So there's mm -hmm. a there's a, a free kind of um, bit like Charlie and Nola animated on on YouTube with it, which mm -hmm. um, people utilise as well. That's free. Do you feel like your experience in marketing helped you get the book out there? Because that can be what the publisher can bring as well, the marketing aspect. Definitely. But that said, I met that many different people. I met a political correspondent when I was doing my first book signing in Waterstones in Leeds. Right. And, and it was a big publisher. And she said that they did hardly anything for her marketing. She did it all of herself. She organised all her own book signings. Oh, really? And then I spoke to us when I was setting up my first bank account, my yeah. business account. Uh, the lady I set up my account with her husband had had a book published. Mm. He received £1.04 pence in a year. Wow. They, they have so many people that they publish for, they don't have the time to market everybody's book yeah, of yeah. course you've got the big names and it will always be yeah. who don't always write the books as well I've exactly heard, I have lots of I've ghost writers I've heard about a few authors who are not actually writing the books no I won't say who they are. well I've, I've been sat in different WH Smith and bookstores up and down the country and obviously you're not like a, a well-known person and you sit there and you see some of these books up on the top shelf because of who they are not what they've written yeah and some have been a load of tosh because I've looked at them and I thought, well, do you know what, mine's it's better than that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, yeah. it's subjective and it's my work. But I think, well, do you know, and I work really hard and lots of other authors out there work really yeah. hard as well. Yeah. But you know what, those books that are quite rubbish, they do end up in, you know, uh, shipped out of the shops into charity shops yeah, and, yeah. And, and other places. Or, you know, That's it's, true. you know, man cannot live off book sales alone unless you're, you know, a big name like David Walliams or Julia Donaldson or, or whatever. No. No, it's can't. a, um, I just really enjoy uh, writing about various topics and, mm -hmm. and 
you know, helping children to under, understand things. I mean, I was rubbish at maths at primary school. Mm-hmm. Again, it didn't interest me, so I'll be aware with the fairest, so I wasn't listening. Yeah, yeah. But I would have learned better in a, in a visual way, and that's why I put triangular trev and the shape idols together. Mm-hmm. So I brought in isosceles, irene, perpendicular, peri, nonagondom, equilateral, eric. What they all do, all these um, characters, they all meet up and make up a song to enter into the band idol competition. Okay. And then they all sing about who they are. For instance, equilateral Eric will say he's equal on all sides. So there's a song there, a rhyming song. So the children can visualise what the shape looks like, but also they, they know what it stands for as well mm. within the song. So it just makes it more more fun. So do you feel with every book that you've written, you're kind of drawing on um, difficulties that you had in your childhood, yeah. what you feel you struggled with? Yeah, it's therapy. So writing for me is therapy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's actually helping other other children. But because yeah. I think visual learning for me, black and white learning, just just a non-starter for me. But the I also find authors as well. I feel like they can tap into the the children's memory so much more. I remember maybe being in my twenties and thinking, why can I not remember these things from um, when I was young? I used to have an amazing imagination. I feel like it's gone. Whereas authors, even if they're writing for adults, they seem to kind of keep that. I don't know. I, I can't describe it, but it's like a tunnel that is still open. That, yeah. That is often shut off, and I think that's amazing. I mean, I I always put myself back into that childhood. I mean, prime. I said I loved my primary school, um, and I loved the free. You reading. just didn't want to listen. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I loved the free reading corner. I didn't like the books that we had to read because we had to learn certain words because yeah. I found them quite boring. But what I did like is going to the free reading corner. Mm-hmm. And I always used to go to books that had more factual information in. Yeah. Um, and I remember looking at a Ladybird book, which was talking about the bombing of Pearl Harbour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just remember learning that from looking at a free reader book that I had. Yeah. And that's kind of um, the Share Some Secrets book that I wrote that encourages children to speak out, mm-hmm. um, to share their sub- troublesome secrets. Um with that one, I wanted a book because one of my friends said to me, can you do something to, to help this? Because lots of news articles coming out about, uh, you know, children have been abused uh, as children and carrying it through adulthood and mm-hmm. kind of waiting so long to speak out about it. And it's um, really harmed them. And so um, I put myself back into a child's head and I thought, you know, as a child, I was so quiet and shy, I wouldn't have spoken out. And so I tried, I wanted to write something that could... Um, encourage children to to identify with mm. uh, you know with with the story so it's incorporated into the story it's not scary you know, the NSPCC endorsed it part, partnership with them um, with uh, it's in the police and crime commissioners Lancashire, Lancashire exploitation toolkit so it's in lots of different places as it's now been recognized mm. globally as well and I've got Sheffield Hallam University students to animate it to make it a free resource online as well wow. so it's um so it's animated with the words and and and, and sound okay. and we'll um, make sure the link to that is in the show notes yeah well that's really important because that it's not profit making thing i just felt really passionate about it and the book is in the nspcc online shop and it's raising funds for them mm-hmm. so that i was made an honorary member of the nspcc council for the work that i did as well as a couple of marathons and runs that i do from and raising funds that way as well okay. yeah yeah <laughs> All right. But no, so, it's, so it's, tell us the name of that book again. Uh, share some secrets. Share some secrets. So when so you did, yeah, do you want to show the camera? Obviously, if you're on the podcast, so that's the NSPCC. So anybody wants one, just go straight to the NSPCC because it's raising mm-hmm. funds for them. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, so you can get a free version of that online. So 
so your friend asked you to do that and obviously you said when you write your books you, you're thinking a lot about your your past when you're a child mm-hmm. what kind of research did you have to do for that right so i spoke to lots of people who have been abused mm-hmm. um who have taken it all through their uh, all through their life um you know they how did you source those people I did lots of, when I was doing uh, lots of book signings up and down the country from, you know, from, from where I lived to Ipswich to London, mm-hmm. wherever, I did a lot of research. I had leaflets mm-hmm. and I spoke to lots of different people. Then I had people calling me. Mm-hmm. I spoke to people in person. I spoke to an abuse lawyer, spent time with an abuse lawyer. So did I you actually tell them when you were doing book signings, this is the next book I'm doing? Have yes. you got anything for yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And so what, uh, because I was looking for, so I had a Kickstarter for it as well to raise funds mm-hmm. to do it. Um, and so I actually read the story to um, a lady called Christine Sands, who's a, a, a solicitor in, in Leeds. And I just hand wrote it on paper and I read it to her and she said, you need to do something with that. That sounds really good. So I thought, mm. right, I'm going to do this. Mm. And then I went into another a girls' school in Wakefield mm. and um, she really liked the story. She said, I want a copy for each of our libraries. Mm. Um, and this is Wakefield Girls' School. And they all endorsed it, as did the... I mean, I sent it to the NSPCC and they said it... Um, that, well, the testimonials in the book as well anyway yeah. uh, the director of communications Ali Jeremy and Childline um, they really liked it because it's it's not a threatening book it kind yeah. of encourages them to to speak out uh, and they can identify with it um, so I completely lost my train of thought what was the question I'm sounding like a politician now what kind of research <laughs> do you do okay so that formed part of my research speaking to lots of yeah. different people and even now um I get phone calls, I get messages saying how it, it is actually helping children to speak out. Yeah, yeah. And I've had calls from Norway, uh, Singapore, wow. Australia, wow. just recently sent some books out to, to Switzerland. Yeah. Um, and because. So are they translated when, then? Pardon? Are they translated? They're Sarah, not translated, right? no, but because it has audio, read along, right, English yeah. is the international language, yeah, is, which yeah. is really good for us. Yeah, yeah. It, I, have had it, it I have had it translated yes. into I'm Spanish. I'm glad my podcast is in English. <laughs> I have had it translated into Spanish, but not a print version yet right, or, or right. online version. There is that but opportunity. It's coming. It's coming. Um, but yeah, so when I did the an, an initial launch, uh, which, the, which the Guardian attended, and they, they put it online, and I was getting calls from these different countries saying, do you know that this is all about your book? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was nice. It's the power yeah. of media. The online media is, is quite yeah, amazing. Yeah. But the most important thing to me is actually it is helping. I know now that it's helping. Yeah. Uh, children to speak out so that's one of my greatest achievements in life I would say yeah Um, Yeah. but yeah but doing but doing the research and there was one lady I met and uh, she'd been abused by her father from the age of five Mm. and um, you know she'd gone through self-harm attempted suicide the whole lot and they don't tend to speak out until they're either distanced from the perpetrator or the perpetrator dies Mm. or there's some reason they feel like they can yeah but what is good now, uh, where we are now, is that we know a lot more. Mm. So, so pe- uh, people are speak coming out more. Yeah, yeah. And I spoke to Andy Woodward, who was the first. A bit more trusted, maybe. Yeah. yeah, Andy Woodward was the first footballer to speak out, um, and he said if he'd have had something like this when he was younger, it would have, you know, planted this even thought. Actually, I'm not alone. This yeah. happens to other people. I yeah. can tell someone. It's just giving him that message. And and Andy is speaking at a conference I've got in in. March as well. Right. Okay. So this, uh, just back to this book. Is it? Um, 
Is it a collection of stories? Is it one story? It's just one story. It's about Millie and Billy with the cat and the dog. Um, and basically, um, Millie feels uncomfortable that her uncle, um, she feels uncomfortable when her uncle comes round to the home. Uh, see, very hypersensitive abuse happens in and around the yeah. home environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes parents will, will trust um, other members' family or distant members yeah. of family or someone who babysits anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she felt really uncomfortable. So Billy uh, tries to get Millie to tell her mum and stepdad, but she mm -hmm. won't speak to them. And so then he encourages her to tell his teacher, Mrs Hurd, Mm -hmm. And so she tells her teacher, Mrs. Hurd, that she feels uncomfortable because he likes to look underneath her dress and it makes her feel uncomfortable and mm -hmm. alone. And so in, in the story, kind of, it kind of predominantly rhymes. Yeah. These children in the early years are more like gravitate towards rhyme, more likely to read yeah, it. Yeah. But obviously it has the audio as well. Yeah. Um, and so then she's at the beginning of the story. Mum says she has two secrets that she'd like to share. Yeah. But one to, to keep secret from from um, from the granny because it's a surprise yeah. birthday party. So it was that difference between good right, and troublesome yeah. secrets. Because that is that is difficult for children to understand sometimes. It as is, well. yeah. Um, wow. So, what age group would you say that this book is aimed at? So, from the age of uh, five to eight, nine. Yeah. Um, I have showed it to different people. Uh, one of my daughter's friends who was like. She was 20 at the time. She said, oh, this is a really good book for anybody to look at. Yes, yes. Because, uh, again, and I've spoken at, uh, I spoke at an early years conference in London. I spoke mm. as part of Bradford's Safeguarding Children mm. Week. And even then I had a, a lady who came and she was a social worker. And mm. she came up to me and she said, I was abused as a child. She said, I don't have any children, but I'm going to get this and I'm going to take it into the school nearest to me. Yeah. She said that would have helped her. So... It's all about, I think, if you can educate children from a young age without yes. it being too scary, but just yeah. kind of giving them the idea. Prevention is always better than trying to pick up the pieces afterwards, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, from a teacher's point of view, sometimes you just really don't have any idea. And, uh, you know, you're juggling so many balls, you just might miss any kind of sign. There might not be any signs. Mm -hmm. But this is a great way to kind of open up the conversation as well. Cause yeah. I think it's a difficult conversation to broach and how do you do it in a story is something we can all relate to as well. Yeah, it is. But this is, um, so in some places they'll use it as part of a session, but then I so said just have it as a free reader so there's somebody like me, as I was, love picking up the free readers, it's bright and colourful, yeah, yeah. it's not scary, it just kind of, there she's telling telling Mrs Hurd, um, and then she's heavily praised for telling Mrs uh, yes, Hurd yes. by her parents as well. So at the end of the story, you've got Granny's surprise birthday party, which they, yeah, yeah which they celebrate. Secret. So it ends on an unhappy, and then as Millie's secret, that's on there separately as well mm -hmm. uh, about them sharing their troubles and secrets. So it, it's worked really well. I'm really, really pleased and proud yeah. of that. That it's well, well done. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was reading your backstory, and you've also you've also done some work. And have you done a book about knife crime that's not out yet? Right, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so my question is, you know, why why do you believe it's important for children to learn about knife crime? Because, well, it, it's really important because children are carrying knives because they think it's going to protect them. Mm. Um, but statistics are if they're carrying a knife, they're more likely to get stabbed with well, a knife yeah, or harmed yeah. with a knife. Yeah. 
um, because as soon as you show it. So this, I was approached by the Police and Crime Commissioner's Office of Humberside. Which is brilliant it, that you were approached. Yeah, no, it was, it was fab. No, Like I, a safeguarding expert now. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, uh, you know. But the thing is, so they said, do you think you could do something because of the success of this one that would help educate children, yeah. you know, from, from a, a young age um, on the dangers of, you know, uh, uh, knife crime and the gangs and the drugs and how they get in, involved with it. And so I love a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so... Here we have, so yes, this resource will come out on the 13th of February, so it's, it's called no, no More Knives. And there is a website, nomorenifecrime.com, which mm -hmm. has been set up as well. So this story is about five um, friends who all meet in the park, just mm -hmm. like friends do. They go and um, sit in the park listening to music, and then there's a, uh, this guy comes along called Stee, and he's just moved into the area, and... Um, he, you know, kind of starts chatting to them and he grooms them basically um, mm. into getting involved in taking packages to different areas, which is the, which is the county lines. So basically what, what they end up doing is he grooms them, they go back to his new flat, he says that he delivers these packages, he gets paid lots of money. All these children have their own backstory. Mm. In actual fact, this could be a really thick book, but I had to, I had to condense it down into yeah. like a comic strip format so that more likely to read it. So if something's yeah. illustrated, they're more likely to read it. Yeah. Um, so that was the, the hardest part, was, was doing that really. Um, and so they, so they, this involves them taking different packages to different places. And um, on, on one of the houses that they go to, um, one of the young boys is really scared. They do, because they see lots of knives around, because they open those packages with knives, which are drugs. Mm -hmm. And um, so he picks one a knife up and puts it in his, side pocket and he mm -hmm. says to one of the girls oh, I, 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 that was really scary I picked up one of the knives and he said uh, she said why have you picked up a knife he said oh for protection and she said how is it going to protect you so it's just letting children know that you know that's why he's put it in there there's lots of choices and consequences involved yeah, in this yeah. story there'll be a resource with it as well with question and answers mm. and so what what and there's a they're giving dedicated phone lines, which is what yeah. happens as well. Yeah. Uh, they befriend them, say that because they're all all these children in the teenage years, yeah. even you know children from all backgrounds. Mm. Yes, uh, less privileged, but even more privileged is that you know what it's like being a teenager, in, teenager in a teenage head. Mm. Lots of things going through your head, going through lots of changes, mm. and it's like, well, my parents don't understand me. But then these, the, the groomers are like, oh, we understand you. We're like a family, be part of our family. Yeah, yeah. And that's how they get groomed and yeah. they're believed. And then there's show of money, of watches, of like, this is what you can have. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the story, I'm cutting it short here, is that they all meet in this, this cafe, runner's cafe, which they're supposed to collect their money from for delivering all these packages. And they, they're not given their money. And so it ends up in some kind of uh, one of the... The bad guys end up punching one of the others, and um, then the young lad who's taken the knife gets yeah. his knife out. So the other guy's got a knife, so stabs him in the leg. It's not gory. Yeah. It's kind of so. This is aimed at children aged ten to sixteen. Yeah. So it's giving them. Um, this it's is how it happens. This is how it happens. These are your choices. These are your consequences. Mm. So I've, I've spoken to lots of different people about this. Um, an ex-gang crime member who was involved in. Um, uh, drugs, county lines, he was stabbed, his friend was shot dead. So it's kind of... How so do you get the contacts to 
to do this kind of research? Police and Crime Commissioner's Office. Oh, excellent. So they, they, that's great. They said to you, can you help us? Can you do this? But we'll also help you. That's Well, yeah. Brilliant. So it was a case of, uh, so this gentleman called Mo Timbo, he's from Peckham in London, and uh, he's involved in all of this. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened with him is uh, they had a particular territory mm-hmm. and he said that he went... Um, they had this guy who came onto their territory, so they stole his mobile phone. He was on a moped. Right. So they stole his mobile phone because it, it was in their area. Never thought anything about it, but then they, they got wind that, um, you know, this, this gang were looking for them. And so what he did was went home, got mm. lots of knives out of his kitchen drawer, put them in his pocket. So this gang are walking over to them both. Mm. Little did they know that one of them had a gun mm. and shot his friend dead. And um, he was stabbed and left for dead. So then that that was a wake-up call for him, yeah. um, going to prison. And he's yeah. now a reformed character. He's a pastor and he's yeah. helping to educate other young people on the yeah. dangers and to stay away from it. So he now lives in Hull. Right, okay. He has a pastor in a church that yeah, he, yeah. Um, you know, um, helping to educate a lot of the yeah. children so aside of that i spoke to um i've spoken to different police personnel uh they called it inspector kirsty talk um and i wanted to know because obviously all these children are young and they don't have any criminal record so what i wanted to know is will these children be arrested and the answer is yes um but the uh the consequences of what happens to them will, will be different they try to keep them out of the criminal system because yeah. once they're in it it's hard to get out of it yeah. so basically they're all taken to the police station you know arrested taken to the police station and questioned mm. so children need to know that yeah this isn't just something that they can do lightly um, yeah sometimes you think well i'm underage so it doesn't affect me but it but it does so yeah. then after that they'll be uh questioned by you know, they'll be seen by youth workers and then it will be decided what happens to them and this mm. is what is said at the end of, of the story uh but it's educating children and parents and teachers as to what actually does happen mm. and this is happening and coming to more areas so you've got you've got london which is obviously the worst for, for the yeah, knife crime the and the moment, drugs just... but then you've got um Manchester, Leeds, and they're actually filtrating now through to the various areas like Lincolnshire. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll target areas, um, new new areas, mm-hmm. uh, uh, towns and villages. So yeah. it's again it's educating children um, and you know the wider society yeah. um, about what's happening. So there'll be a number of these that will be uh, the police and crime commissioners will be funding so many. Mm-hmm. And then they will be available on online mm. um, to buy um, for schools. Obviously, for a, for, for yeah. a larger amount, it would be cheaper for them. But we have to cover our costs, and any proceeds from this will go to yeah. uh, any sales will go to charity, which is the charity I said. Yeah, mm. absolutely amazing. Thank you. Um, so I was going to ask, you know, how you did your research, but you kind of answered that. Um, so this book is for five to eight year olds, and then. Um, the knife book is obviously eleven to sixteen. How do you, how do you pitch your, your write your language? How do you pitch it differently? Do you find that right. difficult? <clears throat> right now, this one. So they obviously, um, predominantly my books, uh, like the Felicity Fly series, aimed at four to seven. You know, four year old can't read them, but you read with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, triangular trove, aged eight upwards, because of the understanding of the the terminology, mathematical terminology. Um, so this is the. First one I've written for a slightly older audience. Um, and so 
Right, the lingo, so I did a lot of research into the lingo that they kind of use at this age. But also, what I was quite mortified about is that my name is used as a, uh, a name for, Christ, I think it's crystal meth. You know, they have all these um, different terminology in different areas for different drugs. Wow. And there's an A to Z, would you believe? And there's so many different words. So different areas will use a different name for a different drug. Yeah. Because so that people they think people aren't going to identify with it. Yeah. But I was kind of mortified and they'll, well, you know, go, okay, and they'll call it flake. So I mentioned flake. Right. So, but they're all different in different areas. So it's yeah. kind of researching how you know how children speak yeah, I, I got yeah. my son to read it he's he's 21 I've got different age groups to to yeah, have a yeah, read of yeah. it and see if they understand and um I mean for all of my books I use an editor yeah yeah and um so I sent it and uh, Rebecca is very good very critical and she came back she said wow she said that's amazing she said is this a real true life story she said because it sounds like one Good. And she's she's uh, you know she's she's excellent at English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that was it's nice to get that testimony from people. Yeah. But within the story, I wanted to incorporate what what yeah. happens and how they end up involved yeah. in the knife crime, the lead up to it as well. Yeah. So do you know how? So you're publishing your own books, and obviously you've got an editor. Do you source your own illustrator as well? Mm. Then? Yeah. There's a there's a number of people involved in any book, so it's yeah. not kind of although publishing one, it's like there's a number of people involved in it. Yeah. So yeah. So I use a, a you know illustrator, graphic designer, mm -hmm. uh, editor. Mm -hmm. yeah. The same process as you would in in yeah. you know a, a publisher would use. It's just that I've got control yeah. over it, which is what I like. And how do you find marketing in it? Marketing it. Bloody hard work. It is oh, hard swore. work. Sorry. <laughs> It's so, a clean podcast. So you have to, you'll have to beat that out. So it's, uh, <laughs> so it's hard work. It's like anything. If you, you can have the best book in the world, but unless you get it out there, nobody's going to know about it. Yeah, this is and it. I do think there's lots of talented people out there yeah. that don't get the work out mm. that would warrant um, a better audience than, you know, some of our celebrities of, yeah, of you yeah, know. Absolutely. So it is hard work because especially in this, in the, market of, of books and stories mm -hmm. it's absolutely saturated is the, is yeah. the, is the market yeah, the um, but you know your, your picture book market is still in a growth area because yeah. parents still want to read to the children grandparents yeah so and we get still... Barbara reading the same thing over and over yeah <laughs> that, the, the, but that... children like it because they know the story and they can read it to you and then they're turning the pages <laughs> yeah there is an element of that actually but um we did the the book advent this year mm -hmm. we got 24 new books and um i was like mm, i'll choose about four christmas ones and the rest not so i can get rid of some of the really bad ones yeah don't know what sometimes i went in before i had children i used to go to like home bargains or something buy a book for 99p there's a reason why the 99p <laughs> like why do you want to read that one again yeah. so yeah i bought better books but it did cost mm -hmm. me a fortune yeah <laughs> But yeah, we, we have to read to them every night. It's important to do. <laughs> um, okay then. So through your work, I suppose really, you know, you started writing books and then it's kind of taken a turn where you've ended up moving into kind of more of a, a difficult conversation area. What do you feel that you've learned about safeguarding throughout this process that you feel that every teacher should know that maybe they don't? Well, I mean, I'm sure teachers are very kind of uh, you know, informed about it from the information that, that they receive. Um, but I've learned a lot from actually speaking to people who have been abused and how they are. In fact, I've been into a school where a child 
has been two weeks previous to me going into the school wow. and that was that was that was hard I think mm. for the teachers because yeah. Teachers have got a really tough job, and I applaud any teacher. By yeah, the way, I think yeah. all amazing it's, it's, because it's, it's it's really hard, isn't it? Because you've got to be everything. You've got yeah. to be a teacher. You've got to be a social worker. You know, you've yeah. got to be a counsellor. You've got to be everything, and it's really yeah. hard. And I do think that teachers should get more help yeah. within schools. I really do. Yeah. Um, so you know, just speaking and and kind of recognizing some of the signs. Mm. Um, for instance, I mean, my son went to a school. And he was struggling because a girl there had told him a lot of information mm-hmm. and she was actually self-harming. Right. And um, when I, I contacted the school, oh, no, no, she, she's fine. She's really bubbly, really bright and she hasn't got any problems. And, you know, we speak to her, we ask her. And, yeah. you know, so she has that facade of being bubbly and that nothing's wrong. But in actual fact, deep down there was. And in the end, the parents were... Um, they were really pleased that I'd said something because right. it, when it came to it, yes, she, uh, she, she yeah. yeah. And so I think sometimes when you think that children are okay because mm-hmm. they they seem happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Uh, Especially they're when not. they're in the teenage years as well. They yeah. can fake it a lot more, can't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. But even a, even a, a small child, there's, there's, there's lots of signs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that lots of teachers are very clued up, especially nowadays. Um, but... And it must be really hard. But I've I've just learned a lot by speaking to people mm-hmm. um, and listening to children and children that can be clingy. It's just there's the, the, the whole array of um, mm. signs. I suppose the difficulty is is that children can do those things. I know. And and be okay. Mm, you know. know. Yeah, it's hard, and uh, and they go through phases, don't they? Of being clingy and not being clingy, yeah. and everything's fine. Yeah, I know. It yeah, is hard, it's, so it's, uh, very difficult. you know, it is. And that's why I thought it was really important to have some kind of resource just to... Open up the conversation. Yeah, and to um, make them understand that they don't need to feel alone. They can tell someone because a perpetrator yeah. will say, no one will believe you, no one no mm. one will believe you. They'll think you're bad for sharing your yeah. secret with them because that's what... Because in one of my conferences I went to, they said, and she was a teacher and she said, oh, we don't use the word secret in our house. I said, well, that's fine. I said, but unfortunately, it's been in the English language since 1840. I can't remember when it was, but it's been in the English language for a long time. And the word secret is used. So we can't get away from that. Yeah. The perpetrators do use that. So we just need to inform them that, yeah. you know. And also, it is why the... wouldn't you use it? Because, like you said, you know, you can have bad secrets and good secrets. Yeah. I mean, good secrets like classroom secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that is. It... It's not about the word you use. That's not going to no. make a difference, is mm, it? No. You know, you need to tackle tackle the problem mm-hmm. um, in the first place. Um, so you mentioned a conference um, that you're running in Leeds. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this was born out of the Shares and Secrets book when I, I noticed there's lots of conferences in London all about safeguarding child protection and... Mm-hmm. And it's expensive to travel to London on the train, I and know, then you've I got go a lot. And then you've got, <laughs> and then you've got to pay for the conference as well. Yeah. And and what I found, um, I thought, well, this is just so expensive, but we need one in Yorkshire because you know there doesn't yeah. seem to be many. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I'll just set up this conference as I do. Yeah. I'm quite impulsive like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After doing a bit of research, and so the first one I had was at the Royal Armouries. Um, and so it's about getting different speakers together, sharing information. And this is open to teachers, public sector workers, mm-hmm. prison service, the, the whole shebang. So it's about bringing people together mm-hmm. and the, the, the speakers that we have um, 
learning from those speakers and questioning them and finding mm -hmm. out the latest information. Yeah, yeah. So the one I have this year, I have um, Jim Gamble, who set up the original child exploitation operations in London. Wow. And he's now... Um, his company's called INEC, and they've got a safer, safer so schools So he's reformed? Hmm? So is he reformed? No, no. No, Jim, Jim Gamble was a, is a, was a police officer. Has a right, police, okay, police just when you say he set up the exploitation, I'm thinking, did he exploit it or not? No, 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 no. No, he set it up for the government. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and then he has this, they have this Safer Schools app, which they're uh, mm -hmm. bringing into schools, cause, and yeah. he's talking about online safety. and. Yeah and informs teachers of the latest apps that are, mm -hmm. you know, that are up and coming and to, to make them safer within school. So they, he's going to be there talking about that. He's a very good speaker. Yeah. I have um, a gentleman called Justin Humphreys who um, has been commissioned by the, the government, the APPG, um, or parliamentary group, um, reporting on the um, abuse within faith. Mm -hmm. So he's delivering a paper on that, which he's doing yeah. with uh, Sherrod Champions chairing that. So he's speaking on behalf of, of that. Mm -hmm. Andy Woodward, who was the first footballer to speak out, he yeah. suffered at the hands of Vanell for many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's telling his story. Um, so it's called abuse of power within a position of trust, mm -hmm. which is what kind of happens. You trust someone yeah, and it's yeah. you know, the abuse of that power. Yeah. Um, Anne-Marie Christian, who's an international safeguarding consultant. Mm -hmm. She's NSPCC credited. The NSPCC coming to talk about the Wild West web campaign as well so it's a it's a very informative conference and any teachers do attend get us a, a cpd mm -hmm. but also i'll you know help you I'll, I'll send you a link for for teachers for that yeah absolutely um, all the everything that you've talked about will be on the show notes. yeah but i think it would be really it's a it'd be a really useful conference i've kept the cost right down it's not for profit um, anything that's left goes to children's literature festival charity that I set up as well. Mm -hmm. um, so no, I think it's a really useful conference. Eh? It's on the twelfth of March and it's uh, in the daytime as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's in Leeds, and how much is it? It's at different prices for so for students it's fifty pounds. So if you right, go onto okay. the it, it, yeah, it so I'll you. give you a, a, a link. Yeah, do thank uh, you. Twenty percent discount. That's brilliant. Wow, I feel like. Um... I've learned so much, so thank you. Um, okay, just a couple of um, a couple of closing questions I want to ask then. Um, I ask everyone these. So when you were at school, even though you were asleep most of the time, like me, <laughs> um, who was your favourite teacher and why? There was probably a couple of them. In primary school, um, a lady called Mrs Proctor, mm -hmm. because she always had a smile. And she was always approachable and was really friendly, um, which was quite different from some of the teachers who were quite austere mm -hmm. and strict. So yeah. a strict teacher, not good for me. Just yeah. you closed, I closed down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Mrs Proctor was lovely. She always had a smile, and that's mm -hmm. why I liked her. And that's why I think I learned more from her than the strict. She's more awake. Well, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. she engaged you more. Because it was like she was interested in you. Yes, yes. You know, and she was happy. And yeah, that makes yeah. a huge difference. Sometimes I think as well, if you're a quiet child in the class, sometimes it's really easy for the teacher to be focused on everybody else. Just um, ignore you because you're quiet. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think the teacher... I know from a teacher's point of view, no teacher ever means to do that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you're just swept away with... Well, because oh, everything yeah. you're trying to juggle. Because there's so many children in a class, it's really hard for teachers in that. But I yeah, do understand that. Yeah, I read an yeah. article once there... It's going back about 15 years ago about this head teacher who took her children out of school when it was a SATs. 
She thought it was a complete nonsense because it yeah. was just teaching children how to um, pass a test. But she said that what happens when you've got too many in a class is that you ignore the yeah. quiet ones, but you're not doing it because, you, you know, mm. for, for any reason that they're actually not causing you a, a problem. The yeah. ones that are shouting out, usually the ones that don't need some help, but yeah, they end up yes. getting more attention. Yeah. So she, so I understand that. So she yeah. felt it hard when and you've got a lot of children. And it's so difficult as well. I read once that um, teachers are so exhausted at the end of the day because the amount of decisions they have to make in mm -hmm. quick succession. Yeah. And decision making is actually quite tiring. Yeah. Um, and the only way I can... Uh, I've kind of come round to understand that now, being the CEO, I'm like, oh, it's the same thing. All the decisions you kind of have to make in quick succession, that's why they go home from the end of the end of the day so exhausted. It's not necessarily a physical aspect of the job. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose it's not that physical, the up and the down, but it's, it's the mentally constant, demanding. mentally, yeah, yeah mentally yeah. demanding. Yeah. Okay. And um, what did you want to be when you grew up? I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> I always say, when I go into primary schools and they say, oh, what do you want to be? I said, you know what? I never knew. Mm. I said, and sometimes you, you need to understand that actually you don't always know what you want to do. I said, but you know what I always say, but you know what? It's not a problem that no. because we're all different. Yeah. You know, um, I said, you, you know, and even when some of my, I say, when some of my friends have left school and they go to college and still you, sometimes you don't know what you want to do and you've yeah. been to university. I said, it's about taking different choices in life that you like that you like no yeah. I said because there'll be jobs out there you've never even heard of yeah. or even existed I said so I, I always say we'll take different opportunities learn from those and then you find what you actually yeah. your niche is what, yeah. what you enjoy I agree with that and I think you know my daughter says all the time I ask her what she wants to be when you grow, she grows up she's three and she <laughs> says a doctor she's been saying a doctor a lot oh. and then the other day she did say I want to um, be a teacher like Mr. McMahon, um, who was a PE teacher actually, and then um, she started doing crab exercises. <laughs> so she, she said, then I'll be able to do this all day. I was like, yeah, I'm sure that's what it does all day. Um, but then she often flips back to the doctor. But I think how many children, you know, say they want to be a doctor or a teacher, but then when they grow up, they realise when they get to 16, they don't want to do that. And I think for me, I, I can't remember what I said all the time. But when I got to 16, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But like you, okay, well, what do I want to get out of a college course? What do I want to get out of a university course? And, mm -hmm. and you figure it out, don't you? Yeah, you do. We, we all don't need to know. No, we all find our way eventually, don't we? I think there is a lot of um, a lot of emphasis on, oh, choose these A-levels so you can get into this university yeah, and get onto this university course. Um, and that is a bit of a shame because... You're kind of expected to know at 16 whether you want to be a dentist or not. And, and if yeah, you don't certainly. know whether you want to be a dentist then, then you're going to struggle to make it. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, it, it's it, difficult. It, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You're and um, everything that we've talked about will be on the show notes. And um, yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It's really important that we open the space, time and language for children to have these conversations with us and it can be difficult to know where to start. You'll find the free resources that you could use and everything that Christina talked about in the show notes. If it's the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, check out our other episodes for some more amazing listens. We've been securing some more fantastic guests for you and if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, 
then you can let us know in our Facebook group called The Teacher's Podcast Community. This episode is live on YouTube as well, so don't forget to subscribe to the channel. And if you love this episode, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teacher's Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.